It's June 25th, 2012. It's the wedding of Kim Jong-il, or Kim Jong-un, and we are here at Craft Beer Radio. That's an interesting intro. Uh, even got the guy's name wrong. Yeah, Kim Jong-un, congratulations on your... New nuptials that no one knew about. I'm not even sure where that hockey card's out here. I guess the kids regret playing with it. We have a... Oh, I think there's an ant. Yeah. No, it's a spider. Oh, okay. Spiders are okay. Ants are okay. Crushed. Crush ants. Um, it's like an ant spider. Or is he carrying something? Or is he a little baby scorpion? Can he kill you? I'm not sure, actually. It looks like, No, it's an ant. Uh, die, die, it's die. an ant. It's hard to test. It's very tiny. Yep. So I had to look closely to see how many... All right, so we got four beers tonight. Three of them from a recent beer club at work. We did Big Bottle Beer Club because there's all these beers on the shelves. Um, I was a little shocked by the price of the beer club, though. For uh, three bottles, it was still... Oh, now I'm drawing a blank on the price. Anyway, we got a couple beers here tonight. Let's start off with this Dogfish beer. Dogfish Head, my Antonia. Let me look up the information. It's an Imperial Pilsner that is continually hopped. I guess it's sort of like what they do for 60 minute and 120 yep. minute, right? Yep. I don't know anything else about it. I am curious how this is similar and or different from their other pilsners, the uh, prescription pills slash golden shower slash golden. They had to change the name because when the TBTB found out what a golden shower was, <laughs> they uh, said, no, you can't do that again. Okay, so started out as a cl- it started out as a collaboration beer when Sam brewed it at uh, Bira del Borgo outside of Rome, Italy, uh, and then they began distributing it in 2010. In 2009, the other brewer came to Delaware and brewed the Namaste. Okay, that's the. Uh... I think it's a South American. I think it has cocoa in it. Okay. It's not a chocolate. It's not really a chocolate beer. So unfortunately, not a lot of information here on their uh, on their site. There's a video clip that I don't want to get into. So it's three minutes. Maybe that has a lot of information on it. So you can just go to their site and check it out. Big aroma on this guy. Um, very malty. Seven point five. Lots of big malt aroma on this one. It's uh, when I first smelled it, I thought it smelled a little, little barley wine like. But once I got it, my nose in there, it, you know, it, it's a different. It's more the pilsner malt. It's a little more bready. So I wonder what it's continually hopped with. Uh, being a pilsner, it's probably not continually hopped with Cascade like their sixteen hundred twenty minutes. I'm just trying to read the side label here. Um, Noble and West Coast hops. That's as much information. Wow. As okay. So there, so there is probably some sort of uh, cascading, you know, uh, centennial hop or something like that in here. Yeah. I mean, it's not super spicy. There's a little fruity hop aroma in the nose. There's definitely a hoppy aroma on the nose though, and it has a good pilsner smell. It has that very full-bodied smell that you get from uh, Imperial Pilsner, where it's, you know, um, I don't know, how do you describe, like, an overdose of Pilsner malt? <laughs> Imagine if you had an IV of Pilsner malt. 
<laughs> and someone attached an extra bag. <laughs> yeah, it does. It just... I guess the best way to put it is, you know, if you think about all that barley in your hand, you just get it wet, where it starts to kind of bud a little bit, and you get a big smell of that. Okay. It does have, an, I just took a sip, it does have um, some interesting things going on in the flavor. Oh, leach flavors. Ooh. Leach flavor gets coffee, ter- toffee, and caramel. It's really nice surprise at the end there. It's, oh, it's so good. It starts out a little pilsnery, but it has... Actually, some of that, where I said it, I thought I smelled a bit of barley wine when I first poured it. It gets really sweet. It has a bit of a barley mm-hmm. wine character. But then it just turns on the afterburner on the toffee, and then it goes caramel. And this is a golden beer. It's not like they put a bunch of, you know, caramelized malts in there, at least not ones that add color. Um, yum. Interesting that you taste caramel. I don't taste caramel. I got I mean, let me take my second sip here, but, like... Okay, so it's Pilsner and dry, and then the hops I, go down. I taste it being pretty aggressively West Coast hoppy, and I think that is doing this weird play um, to make to 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 give it a kind of distinct, give it a kind of bitterness that you wouldn't necessarily get, and that bitterness is kind of reminiscent of bitterness you get from coffee, and maybe a little bit of, of chocolate so it's it's just it's the bitterness is doing it it's not really the other flavors i'm not tasting like the melanoidins i'm not tasting those uh the 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 burnt sugary bits i i don't know i got it again i mean it's not right in the close aftertaste it's like after it's down your throat and you're sitting there thinking about it talking it kind of comes back out the flavors it's really really interesting i like it It's, hmm. It's not bad. It's it's unique. I I just don't know if I'm. I I, I it feels like we're 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 tasting different, different beers. beers. Because you're describing something that is not at all really what I'm tasting. No, I'm at my four sips in, and it is a lot more bitter now. Bitter starting to build on my tongue. It's starting to pile up, mm-hmm. and it just it didn't. It's definitely like the first sip. It was bitter, but it went away. My palate was clean. Second sip, by fourth sip, my palate's not clearing off each sip. It's definitely getting more and more bitter. Yeah, I, I wouldn't go in expecting a doppelbach. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't taste, you know, after several sips in, it it's not like many Imperial Pilsners, you know, that I'm thinking of. And, of course, as soon as I say that I'm thinking of, uh, I don't have any great names at the top, at the forefront. But it has a, definitely has a different malt character than a lot of Pilsners. They say on their site, and this is somewhat marketing speak, but I think it, it, it works in this sense. They say they call it a lager for ale lovers. And there there's a, a bit of that which I can understand in that it really does have that kind of uh, fruity complexity. Mm-hmm. I, um, I, I think Imperial Pilsners in general are lagers for ale lovers. I mean, they're so hoppy. Yeah, but... You know, and, there's, there's a big malt backbone there. They don't have that crisp. It, there's Imperial Pilsners are not crisp, you know, because there's so much hops in there. They have tons of aftertaste. You know, they're not crisp and clean like a Pilsner can be. I mean, blind, I would not have said Imperial Pilsner. 
That's hard to say. I mean, I think that the Pilsner Malt was pretty prominent. I think it would at least be confused. I don't, but it's so hard to guess at what we would have thought after knowing that it has West Coast and continental hops and it's continually hopped it's a pilsner you know after knowing all that it's, yeah it's really I, hard i, I to even forgot out. about the continually hop part which yeah. which probably adds some you know interesting qualities to it too yeah i mean it would be great and here's an experiment i wonder if uh anyone's done this um brew the same beer you know use the same amount of hops but break it up into three editions five editions and continually hopped and just see how they're different Mm-hmm. You know, that would be an interesting experiment. Yeah, do a 60-minute. Do your standard three editions at the times that are yeah. customary. Do a five or six edition, you know, thing where so it's a little more frequent. I I think I think Sam should do that. I think I think that's a great idea. Is they should do a 60-minute and they should do like a six ten minute and mm-hmm. a three. 60 minutes or something like so, so like you said so you know but then it's sh- what if it shows that there's no appreciable difference to their highly hyped and marketed continually hopping process right? well, well then you don't release it <laughs> i think that's an experiment that someone who's built something up around the continually hop process you don't want to you don't want the Mythbusters busting that mm-hmm. one you just kind of want to use it as a as a dogfish thing you know and i'm not saying it's good or bad every breweries need things to get people's attention yes and i'm not bashing the continually hopped but i am i want to skeptically test you know i, I want to see a test yes absolutely it, it would be interesting i mean we could we could do the test ourselves right oh, we, we, could, we could yeah, make absolutely. a absolutely you know basically the, the first when they were first doing it, right they use a little football machine yeah and it. and i've never done a ton of research now is it hops falling every few seconds is it hops falling every 30 seconds is it hops falling once a minute you know i i don't know yeah you know but you know it's the same amount of hops at some interval for the whole period and uh maybe it's every few seconds you know a couple hops fall maybe it's that frequent or maybe it's once a minute hard to say yeah so i mean we could certainly do something on the easier end you know even 30 second editions or something like that but if you wanted to fall every few seconds, you could definitely rig something. Also, I mean, homebrewers there. Sure. It, it's harder when you're dealing with massive tanks versus five gallons, right? I mean, you're. Oh yeah, I mean, adding continually. The hard part with continually adding five ounces of hops is divvying up five ounces yeah. to last sixty minutes. The hard thing with continually hopping a hundred pounds of hops. Is moving 100 pounds of hops, you know. So, <laughs> and I'm not saying that they put 100 pounds of hops in, in you know, a batch of 60 minutes. I've just oh, there's no a, way. They I just they probably the put nine yeah. to ten. Yeah, I just pounds. picked. I just picked the number. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The hardest part for the homebrew, I think, would be to divvy it up so you mm-hmm. don't so you don't run out. You know. I guess you could crush it into you could crush your pellets into a powder. Well, I mean, yeah, a, it's easy to break the pellets up. You could do that. Have just like a, an hourglass thing that just sort of slowly run your hops like the like the pellets through the hourglass. Yeah. So are. <laughs> All right, that was my Antonia from Dogfish. Dun, 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 dun. My Antonia. Nice. I could have got the uh, Namasta instead of this, but I figured. 
tasted that one, and since it wasn't really a chocolate beer, it was you know a cocoa nib beer. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was maybe a little weird to to bring into beer club for people that you know just trying different things and whatnot. It's more of a special buy where you say, "Hey, we're doing the Namasta. Let's let's pitch in on it." I believe it's not Namaste. Don't you remember from your lost? I guess. Lots of foam in the glass. Yeah. Double rinse here. Okay, so what's next? Um, let's do the Père Jacques. This is one you got from over in Ohio, either Vintage Estates. This or... was from, uh, I'm almost certain this was from the other one. <laughs> I can never remember the, the name. The Chalet? Or... Yeah, yeah, Chalet Premier. Thank you. Yeah, so we can get Goose Island across the across the border. That's that's good to know. Especially we what, eight bucks for this bottle of beer. I don't think any of these bottles that I bought an entire case of was as cheap as eight dollars a bottle. Uh, I I need to make another run to 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 that area, and I can certainly do it maybe uh, Friday. Um, this is a 2011 vintage. Uh, they call it the Belgian-style Abbey Ale. It's nice having a stockpile of these Xylus stoppers. Yeah. We've got these big bottles. We just pour half glasses and put the stoppers in. Definitely, I think that if you if you make a habit of buying bombers, but you're not in the habit of drinking the whole thing, then these Bombers, are or if you're buying really expensive 12-ounce beers, right? You want to last them a day or two. Yeah. I mean, these things are great, so... So, okay, we have a lot more information on here. Belgian-style Abbey Ale, 8% alcohol by volume, 26 IBUs. Uh, they call the color, they don't actually give a SRM, but they just call it warm molasses. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I I would call it iced tea. And Yes, yeah, so iced tea is good. It's brown, a little bit of red to it. Uh, Zotz Hops. Two-row wheat caramel rye flakes and special bee malts. I, w- I do want the warm molasses crayon, though. <laughs> I make a delici- delicious picture. There's something vaguely scatological about that, though. Really? Yeah, brown crayon that says warm molasses. I, I don't know. No, I think you're just a sick sick person. I, I, I just like poop. This is the main show, Greg. Save that for I later. I can say I like poop. I I'll save it for later. Okay, so on on the aroma on this one, this one poured with a much smaller head than the last one. We didn't mention it, but the Mayantonia, huge head. Stayed there the whole time. This one's just very thin, serious clouds of a head. Uh, you're getting you know, a little bit of that Belgian character, I would say, you know, probably a bit of ripe pear. I think you get a little bit of like a dark candy sugar type aroma on it, so it's a little a little sweetness, but it doesn't have that. No, I don't want to describe that. It's uh, jeez, I'm hmm. trying to think how what words I want to put behind that. It's a kind of it's a sweet sort of. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It, it's a. It, it has. It's, so what it has in the aroma is something that you might find in like the Shimea Red or something, where it has that. Oh wait, wait, wait! Smell this. Smell it. Juicy fruit. 
Huh. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I mean, it's not 100% juice, yeah, but stick it's, of juicy it's... fruit, but there's that, that magical friend blend of fruit juices they use in juicy fruit is in this beer, too. There's some sort of, you know, sugary compound that's, that's very similar there. This uh, won the 2011 gold medal in the World Beer Championships for Abbey Double. So they have a serving glass suggestion here. And it's kind of a white wine glass. It's not really your standard beer glass shape. It's, you know, when you break in your closet of custom Belgium glasses, you'll, yeah. you'll have one of these. It's, it looks kind of like... Um, hmm. It's a little bit like those... It's like a bell. Upside down. Those stouts glasses you have. Yeah. Yeah. The, it's a little more open. Yeah. I think... I think maybe Deconic has a glass like that. I think it might be like a Deconic glass. They call it a wide mouth glass on the page. Um, I would call my Chimay glasses wide mouth. You know, they're very yeah. shallow. They're more like dishes. You know, they're so wide and shallow. Those are sort of like goblets almost. The Chimay ones. Yeah. These are we're we're we still drinking on these um, basic uh, semi tulips and these are I think the, the the ones that we love we enjoy the most. I'm drinking out of a safer glass. I'm drinking out of the other um, Spielglau. Yeah. Un, unlabeled. The ones that if you go to the if you're lucky and you go to some of the tasting salons you get to take these home. I, I wanna buy one of the um, they're so they're they're not expensive, but they're not cheap. The, the Spielglau has some Weizen glasses. And they're like this thin, you know, because most of the fights and glasses you see are made for restaurant use. You know, they're heavy and really thick. Like the glass weighs like three pounds type uh -huh. thing. You know, even if you buy them at, you know, uh, German rest, you know, German inspired brew pub or something, you know, it's still this huge, thick, durable glass. And the Spiegelau ones are these delicate little wheat gla wheat beer glasses. And I just want to see how that compares because it'd be so different from any wheat beer glass that I've drank from. I want to say it's like twelve or fifteen dollars for two glasses. Hmm. It doesn't taste like juicy fruit. It, it's more dark fruit, mm -hmm. more you know, um, plums and, and pears, the sort of things that you're um, you're more used to tasting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So don't let that aroma kind of fool you into thinking, oh, it's going to be some sort of sugary sweet uh, bubble gum confection. It's not. Uh, it's uh, pear is a big flavor. Think think like. You ever get that mixed fruit, the dried fruit mm -hmm. mixed bag, and you mm -hmm. get those dried pear, dried pears, the juicier ones, not the ones that are dry and leathery, but the juicier pears that aren't quite as dried out. You get a lot of that flavor. It's quite tasty. Mm -hmm. uh, it it really hits the spot. Said it many many times in the show. I'll say it again. Doubles are probably my favorite beer to pair with food. And I can think of an enormous amount of foods that yeah. will go with this. Uh, anything but fish. <laughs> anything but white fish. Yeah. Any other food I think would go well with this. I mean, I, I, I think that it's rare to find a better combination than uh, a juicy rare burger and a double i just i think those go together so well especially if you have like a nice sharp cheese on there mm -hmm. 
That would definitely be good. Yeah, there's so many ways to go. I don't want to really... I mean, I could say anything, and you'd nod your head, right? So it's just not... I'm not going to waste the time yeah. trying to try to sound smart, try to sound like an amazing food pair, because this is just All right, well, too then, easy. It's a big softball. Okay, so food's easy, but let's think cheese. Cheese. See, I would go with something sharp. I, I would probably go with a sharp cheddar. Um, maybe even a sharp blue. Yeah, I don't, I'm not feeling blue cheese with this. I, I can see the sharp cheddar. Let me throw in something from a different angle. Let me go with... Um, hmm. Yeah, a bit here, okay. How about like a blue, one of the, like that blueberry chev? Like a blueberry goat cheese. Yes. A different angle. There. Sure. The, the little tanginess might, mm-hmm. might work. Here's what they say on their site. They actually have cheese pairings. You didn't see this first. <clears throat> Aged Gouda. Aged Gouda goes well with anything. And Stilton. See, I'm not feeling the blue cheese with this one. I don't know. I mean, I guess it would work. I think it, I think it's the saltiness. I think that that mm, okay. you know would help then draw in the other kind of fruity flavors. It, it would just make those more magnified. Oh, I brought a cheese home from uh, up in Meadville. It's a I brought two cheeses. I got a hellish Havarti, which is a pepper Havarti, but I also got a um, Farmstead Blue. So. Like, you don't normally see small... Like, the, the local Pennsylvania cheesemakers, usually they're making some cheddars, some mozzarella, and maybe... Man, like, I'm like, blue cheese from a local cheesemaker? Let's go for it. So we'll try that a little bit later. Okay. Uh, in the post show, let you give it a try. Got some Amish. They're uh, hot pepper rings in a uh, garlic oregano sauce. Those are pretty good. About a couple, there's a great little market up in Meadville and whatnot. And we went there before we went to the Voodoo Pub. Went to the Voodoo Pub last weekend. Got a, you have a Voodoo beer here. Yeah, well, so. I'll talk about that when we're drinking the Voodoo beer. How yeah, about that? That's a good idea. Back to the Goose Island Parish. We said before Goose Island's in Chicago. It is a. Uh, I, I am quite fond of Goose Island. Uh, don't get it enough. And it's. Uh, they make some really good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've had it on occasion, and and actually, you know, like the first couple that I've had, they're they're big one, right? The, the couple of their flagships is like the Honkers Ale, the Hexnut Brown Ale, you know, normal, you know, microbrewery, North American type styles, the Pear Jacques, the um, oh, I'm drawing a blank on the other Belgian ones right now, uh, Matilda and Sophie and whatnot, you know, those. But you know, when I first had them, I hadn't had, didn't have the palate to appreciate every beer. Yeah. And you know, I had honkers, and it just tasted like a, I think it was at an airport though, so that's probably part of it. Yes. Yeah, you know, it just tasted like an airport beer taste. It's cold, and it's vaguely beer-like. Not fresh. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. So, but you know, as I've gotten into them, you know, definitely, and and you know, I, I had, I probably remembered when you brought these over. I'm like, oh. Goose Island is right across the state line in Ohio. But now I'm kind of interested in them, so I'm thinking next time you go, let's pick up some everyday Goose Island beers. That's not a bad idea, because there, we we tend to, on the show, drink more the more special stuff. I mean, the, the stuff that comes out that's interesting. And there there is something to say for... You mean you know the the everyday beer? Not every great brewery has a great everyday beer. 
Um, I mean, for, there's three three beers that are you know the main beers from Goose Island, which I'm not sure we've done any on the show. The Honkers, the Hexnut, the Three One Two, and you'll be able to get those yeah. for a decent price. But let's think about some other breweries. I mean, mm-hmm. for you know the example, the example that comes to mind immediately is New Belgium and Fat Tire, and I'm frankly not a fan. Mm-hmm. Um, now I have not tried New Glarus Spotted Cow. I'd love to give that a shot. Yeah, we'll have to go to Wisconsin. Again. Yeah, the, you can only get that in Wisconsin, so so much for that. Uh, around here, Victory's Hop Devil, not the best IPA in the world. Uh, Great Lakes has a good selection of you know of, of their proper go-to beers, and frankly, I find that they're that with Great Lakes, it's it's their mainstays that are better than their specials. Some of them, I mean, you know. Th- they have a bunch of pub-only beers up there. Um, I've only been to the pub once, and I got to try a couple so long ago, I don't remember what they were. Um, you know, And technically, Great Lakes is more local than Victory. It's only two hours to right. Great Lakes, and it's a four and a half to Victory. So, Darkish Head 60 Minute is, is good, but it's not the... It, it, it's, it's not the same caliber as some other, like, it's not, for example, it's not as good as Bell's. You keep mentioning, you know, these IPAs, or, you know, let's talk about the, the bigger breweries, Widmer Hefeweizen, you know, I mean, that's kind of like Goose Island Honkers, you know, maybe a little bit bigger. But, you know, I, I just think, you know, I, now that I realize Goose Island is so close that we can actually get our hands on it, we don't have to ask someone to send it to us, or we don't have to drive to Chicago to get it, I think we definitely want to get, you know, some of the flagships and just kind of pay attention to those and and i want to make sure they're better than i remember when i was learning beer and had uh-huh. these airport beers of bleh. you know so that's the main reason i think i want to do it but and just kind of see here 312 probably a pretty good wheat beer let's go for it let's give it a try when i went to chicago last year i did not make it to any of the goose island you know pubs or anything like that you know, i spent my time on the smaller um well, there were more in the neighborhoods I was in. Was the main reason I wasn't avoiding Goose Island. But Parajaka Dorme Vu. All right, Voodoo. Yeah, we'll do the Voodoo. This is their Voodoo Love Child. So this is their Belgian triple, but it's aged on. Whoa! I thought it was just cherries, but it's cherries, raspberries, and passion fruit. So this is from the Voodoo Brewing Company over in Meadville, Pennsylvania. What's the kind of distribution on this? Because that's uh... Western Pennsylvania, Central Pennsylvania. Actually, you know they have some accounts in Philly. So, but I think it's just all PA. Maybe a little bit in Ohio. I'm not sure. When you're at Vintage Estate, see if they're over there. I will. I mean, it's close. Is this part of their Barrel Room collection? No, this is just one of their main flagships. Okay. Main. They only have like five or six main beers, year-round beers. This is one of their year-rounds. I know one of them is Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. That's one of their um, seasonals. Okay. Here we go. Uh, Belgian well, they, Triple... Yeah, they have that stupid flash thing where you have to rotate through the beers yeah. on your site. At least, at least they don't have. They don't ask you for your age. age. They, they they ask you, are you older than twenty-one? That's nice. And I mean, because so you don't have. It's easier to lie. I mean, well, I, it, <laughs> or comply, whichever. Yeah, I mean, you it, go. it's it's comply, but normally when when they ask me an age, I just put in random numbers and I make the age, you know, make the year like fifty four or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
Voodoo Love Child is a Belgian-style triple, like you said, aged for three months on Michigan sour cherries, Oregon raspberries, and passion fruit. 9.5% alcohol by volume. Year-round availability. Yeah, so Voodoo, uh, Matt Allen's the brewer. He's actually, he also was, I'm not sure if he still is, he is helping the guys at Straub. So he was the brewer at Straub also. That kind of like, they needed someone with, you know, good brewing skills to, I don't know if it was fix a problem or just, you know, get things going again, keep it going. But he was, so he brewed Voodoo and he would drive over to St. Mary's and brew the Straub beer, which mm. is, for people that don't know, that's one of the large... It's probably the largest regional beer other than Iron City in the area. It's one of those regional macro yeah. type beers. But, but it's it's grain only. It's they pride themselves in not using adjuncts, but it's it's still not an awesome beer. It's it's a lawnmower beer. Yeah. It's be, it's better than Iron City. It's 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 better than Yingling as far as I'm concerned. Um, now they have the in their tasting room they have the Eternal Tap right so everything comes out of the Eternal Tap a tap that never goes dry, and I, I you know me being the skeptic. I want to go behind the wall and see, do they have some kind of thing where you, like, literally, if you kept the tap open and, you know, the kegs would never kick at the same time and you could actually, you know, change them while it flows continuously, I want to see that, you know? <laughs> I'm sure there's not an infinite keg. I suppose if you just have put a Y and two Sankey taps, I, I guess you could Wait, this pour... is it. this is it Voodoo, you say? No, no, is, no it's Straub. It's Straub, okay. But, yeah, let's get back to the big bad. No, no, the, this is interesting. Keep, keep talking so they about call this. it the internal tap, right? Okay. And it's like, they keep talking about this ca- This tap has never gone dry. It will never go dry. Maybe that's as simple as just putting a Y and having two tanky taps, right? Because, I mean, the, the, the when you untap the tap, it's going to yeah. close, right? So the other keg should keep flowing. So maybe the engineering isn't as magnificent as I thought it was at first. It's sort of like... Um, I'll give some people a little bit of... of uh, of a religious thing in the in the Jewish culture, in, in synagogues, there's an eternal flame that's supposed to never go out. So it's you know always on its own separate generator or something like that. So even if there's a power failure, you'll still have the. Don't the, they just use fire? Or? I mean, they used to, but now it's just an electric light, at least in in most places. <laughs> really? Yeah. See, I mean, because church Catholic churches have some. I forget what's called, but I'm pretty sure one of those candles. Is a can you know that flame has never gone out type thing, it, but they just light a new. They I use mean, the same fire to light the new candle. Maybe you know? in a more orthodox temple there might be. In a reformed one, it was just okay. a. It was just a little have a UPS on the eternal. Light. As far as I know, they didn't even have one. As far as I know, they, they may not even you know put an external generator on. What the if the power light? goes out during during synagogue? <laughs> There'd be pandemonium. Like you said, it was a reformed synagogue, so probably people wouldn't wouldn't care. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't what they were really there for, but I, I, the eternal tap is is sort of I, I see it as kind of a, a a sort of symbol in the same way, right? It's it, it's it's a symbol of of continuous uh, presence of in this case not holiness but beeriness. Okay, type that in. But everyone saw where it was going. Well, you, you were right with me, so. I hope, you know. I don't necessarily want to be ahead of everybody at the same time. Sometimes I want them to be right with me. Gotcha. Voodoo Child smells like cherries. Not a huge amount, though. It doesn't smell like a fruit bomb or anything, at least to me. Maybe Greg and I are tasting different beers again. That's the first thing I smelled. Um, let me give it some more. Thing. I mean, I'd, passion fruit, uh, wow. from what I remember, does not have a huge aroma. Describe the label <laughs> before we get on to the beer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh... 
<laughs> Imagine a almost naked Jerry Sandusky. No, Sandusky was kind of fit. This guy has a big pot belly. It's big pot belly. I, I don't know, like a big old He's, old guy with a pot belly wearing a, a wearing a speedo. Or, yeah. or a thong, a thong, Banana like a hammock. leopard skin thong, some the the wooden uh, shoes, like the Japanese shoes with the two yeah with, with socks. He has a, a helmet, crash like an evil can evil crash helmet. Uh, other than that, he's naked. He's and and so that is kind of a uh, black and white photo of that with fire in the background. Yeah, I don't get it. <laughs> They could have. It's called Voodoo Love Child. They could have done anything. It was a guy, a fat guy in a banana hammock, mustache, gla- he has goggles on. He has uh, motor, you know, biking go- motorcycle goggles on too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the aroma on this one, I yeah, I guess it, I'm tart Michigan cherries. Okay, so now that I'm not thinking like maraschino, I'm smelling more cherry. Not to, you know, there's a little bit... Okay, here's what's in the back. Sorry to interrupt you. That's okay. Voodoo Love Child is our grand met, aged for three months on passion fruit, cherries, and raspberries. This is unique to Lambics, so we feel, why should they get ale the fun? Ale the fun. This ale is... That could be just a typographical error. It's possible. This ale is inspired by fun flavor and passion for brewing. We say you have a couple. No, that was intentional. That was intentional. Why should they get ale the fun? Yeah. Because then they go on to reusing a couple of those um, sounds, right? They say um, fun brewing, passion for brewing, you know, fun flavor and passion for brewing. So, yeah, that's that's an intentional uh, thing. Anyway, let's drink the beer. Well, it's not a lambic, and one of the reasons why you can you can say it's not a lambic is because it does not have the tartness. Yeah, I mean, I think they were just saying we used fruit like a lambic, but mm-hmm. we just used our Belgian triple yeast. Uh, Taste has a lot more body than a lot of triples do. And it actually, it's funny, I had this beer on Saturday, and it seems like maybe maybe it's not as carbonated in the bottle as it was on tap or something, which is usually the opposite. But it, it, it doesn't come across the same as what I had on Saturday either. This one's a little bit fuller, a little bit richer in flavor. The the way the fruit is combining is not ideal. Uh, it's giving a, a weird kind of clash to me. It's it's not unpleasant, but it's not. Wow, this is this combination is is amazing. Mm-hmm. So it 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 kind of tastes uh, a little bit like you you had a a piece of pineapple in your mouth and. You then were chewing on a cherry bubble gum or something like that. It, it's got this weird kind of juxtaposition of, of, of fruit flavors, which I'm not sure work all that well or, or all that great together. I had their taster up there and it had the Grand Mat. Excuse me. Had the Grand Mat and the, the Voodoo Love Child. So I only had like two ounces or, yeah, about two ounces of it. And it was nice comparing the two. Both of them. 
the batches that were on tap seemed a lot more triply, uh, thinner body, more bright flavor, mm-hmm. a little more of the, you know, I don't know, more golden tasting mm. than, than, you know, the, this seems like it has a little more... Yeah, I, I, I feel, I see what you're saying, because I, I feel like some of the brightness of the fruit mm-hmm. is lost here. I think yeah. that you're, you're you're getting the, the, the darker notes of the raspberry, the darker notes of the cherries, you're losing they, some they of They also them. had a specialty brew, the 7-7-12. I was probably tapped on July 7th or something like that. Um, but it was another Be- another Belgian triple, but it had... Dragon fruit. It had like eight different crazy weird fruits in it, <laughs> and um, that was interesting. It had a mangoey type flavor to it. Uh, again, it didn't taste. It, none of the beers that I tasted. I had a whole, um, you know, Belgian beer glass of that one. So you know, where I only had a little taster of the Voodoo Love Child. But all the ones up there, they all none of them tasted gimmicky, or the fruit tasted, you know, overdone, or you know. Um, you know, too much focus on the fruit. They were all nicely done. Um, I think that this may be the 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 Belgian yeast that that, that they're doing is it may be a little overactive here. And the reason why I say that is because I feel almost as if it it took away some of the essential sweetness from these fruits and is leaving behind um, some of the you know fruity essences, but without the sweetness there to to, now, to back. When them you up. mean overactive, I'm I'm trying to figure out what you mean because. I'm thinking either the same thing or the opposite, depending on what you mean by overactive. Okay, so what I mean is that, and you can tell me whether you're feeling the same thing or not. What I mean is that it feels like you know, I mean, the, the, the yeast is, you know, the the beer has a lot of body to it. It has you know definitely the kind of thickness mm-hmm. that you get from a triple, and it feels like it uh, converted those the fructose. Oh, okay. Um, See what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling. I don't mean to interrupt you, but. Uh, I'm going to interrupt you anyway, I guess. <laughs> what I'm, it's been that kind of show. What I'm feeling is when you you know, when you know pitch a yeast, you want the yeast to be a little bit stressed because that brings out more character from the yeast, right? If there's too much yeast, ferments out very clean, even if you use a yeast that typically gives character. And to me, this tastes like there was a lot of yeast. There wasn't much time for it to, to be stressed and to give kind of that Belgian character. It tastes a little... The yeast character seems pretty clean in this glass of beer. Okay, so yeah, that's an opposite of what I feel. I feel like the yeast has kind of overdone its job and has well, taken but, some but, of the but essence. But you're just talking about final gravity. You're talking about how much work it did, Well, how much sugars it converted. I yeah, mean, essentially. Sounds like, sounds like you're kind of talking about... The, see, I'm talking about a different part of the yeast thing, right? Yeah. Where when a yeast is really struggling and working and just barely getting the job done, it starts putting off... Other compounds, right? And that's that Belgian character starts putting out the the. the this the, is why I love poop because this is yeast poop, and it's important to how beer right? tastes. Yeah, bring it back around. Mm-hmm. A lot less disgusting than it used to be, right, guys? <laughs> Am I right? Um, and girls, that was very sexist of me. How dare we have you. at least four female listeners and uh, transgendered and queer. Yes, that's a callback. I don't know if we talk about the main <laughs> show. But uh, we're not being racist. Just no. go, go back, listen, because that's 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 what they call themselves now. Just go back and listen. And we're nothing if not accepting. Mm. Big fruit on this one. But you know, we had a half glass getting down to the end. I'm like, oh, I'm 
opportunity for something a little less fruity. I'm I'm getting more acclimated to the flavor, okay. so. Um, but there's still there's still kind of a, a weird kind of overall bitterness that overwhelms the the, the, the sweetness from that I kind of expected from the fruit. The neat so, thing about the seven seven twelve is it had a lot more citrus type flavors, right? So it had some citric acidity, so it played itself a little more like a hoppy West Coast beer would, where this one's playing itself very much like a sweet Belgian fruited beer with a bunch of those very candy fruits those, mm. those pie fruits really right you know like jam fruits let's call them jam fruits you know whereas when he did the 7712 he was using fruits that you know crazy hops give off those kind of flavors you know there's some grapefruits some mango there was and that was a pretty interesting beer i enjoyed that so here's my ultimate criticism of the beer it it tastes kind of like fruited beers you used to expect fruited beers to taste like Mm-hmm. You know, it did, where they were, you know, there was some fruit in there, and it was kind of like, you know, it was okay, but it was not as good as the other stuff. One of the things I forgot. And oh, fruited sorry. beers have become so much better now. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the, the quality and, and the ability for brewers to, you know, extract the fruit and turn it into something interesting. And this just kind of reminds me of the old, you know, 20-04, 20-05 days when we were getting kind of fruited beers that they were experimenting with. They mm-hmm. hadn't quite figured out how to do the right stuff with gotcha. it. They, they also have a whip beer called White Magic of the Sun, which they add pepper to. That was interesting because that was a excuse me, significantly peppered beer. But, you know, it, it wasn't overblown. It was good. I enjoyed um, I enjoyed that one. Excuse me. All right, last one is another beer that I picked up a case of for Beer Club. This is Victory's Auto. It is a smoked, it's a Rausch beer. Is it auto in oak or just auto? Just auto. Okay. Uh, now, the, the first, it's, it's funny because um, while I was waiting for Jeff to, to put the kids down. Uh, put them down. Put them down. <laughs> Take care of them. <laughs> uh, I had a smoked beer, and it was it was too strong at the beginning. It was it was the beer we had last time. The um, yeah, the one we talked about chunked. saving with smoked fish, and yeah. of course I never thought about the fish. So, but we'll cap this one. Then we'll have two beers to do with fish. Uh oh, uh oh, corked. The, the first smell off that was a little skunky. Skunk, really? Yeah. I wouldn't expect this to be that hoppy and or light struck since it was in the case the entire time. I didn't get that. I got a nose full of smoke, Roush beer. You know, not quite hammy, not quite mesquite. Let's see what you think. I get no skunk there. Hmm. We are not on the same page no. tonight. It's that thing we talked about in the pre-show where we have the fundamental assumption that what we're talking is what I say is what you understand, <laughs> yeah. right? But normally we 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 seem to converge. I mean, over I mean we we, we had our we have our moments, but over the yeah. course of two hundred eighteen shows, whatever we're on, um, we 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 tend to, to agree or disagree, but this this show is is an so there's some things that are coming and going in this aroma. First smell, all you smell is smoke because we're jumping ship and going smoke beers. 
but then I'm smelling some things like um, oregano in there. I thought I was smelling a little bit of a phenolic plastic, but it really wasn't strong enough to really tell. You don't have anything about it on their site. Thanks. Took a little break, took another sniff, and it's a beautiful smoke aroma again. I mean, it's like... Oh, I think they use Weyermann, um, you know, the Bamberg Rausch malt. There's a lot on the back here. In 1987, when we arrived in Bamberg for the first time, St. Otto was not there to greet two thirsty travelers who rented a Fiat. He'd been dead for 848 years, but we were alive and our recent visit to the Belgian brewery of Orval only fanned our flames and our desire for fermented mm, pleasures. Orval. Yeah. The smoke malt Rausch beers of the lovely town where St. Otto once was bishop were our siren song, luring us into deep exotic flavors that we never before imagined in beer. Three decades later, we wondered what smoked malt might add to a Belgian-style double. Thirty years later? Here it is, an auto-revival of sorts. We hope it helps rejuvenate some of our brain cells that were martyred in Bamberg so long ago. Bill and Ron. Number one. You know what's funny is um, Bill Kovaleski, dude doesn't look more than 37, 38 <laughs> years old. <laughs> okay, number one, beer doesn't kill, alcohol doesn't kill brain cells. That's a myth. Oh, yeah? Yes. Something related to alcohol consumption kill them, or do they not die at all? They don't die. I mean, okay. they die, but they don't die because of alcohol. Okay. N- number two, this doesn't taste like a double to me at all. Wow, well, it's a smoked double, so yeah, it yeah it's, not it's a. <laughs> I, I just want to clarify that this is not like a double with smoke because we just had a, a a double that was a damn good version of a double. This is not any way like that. Now, I'm not saying that it doesn't qualify as a double, because, I mean, a double Holy is, is ingredient-wise. Okay, I, I, let me talk. It's, I'm going to interrupt you this time, because I just took a sip, and man, it has a permeating smoke flavor, and it's it's not... It's well done. I mean, you know, it, it's so... It's everywhere, but it's not any kind of gimmick. It's not overblown in any way, but it just permeates your whole mouth, you're up in your sinuses... I, I guess it's the just the Vireman, you know, malt, which I think is a beechwood smoked malt. Um, it's not exactly like anything that I, you know, have cooked out on the barbecue, or it's not campfire, but it is pleasant as hell. And maybe we are on different, you know, trains tonight because I'm enjoying this a lot too. I'm not positive it's going to be very drinkable. I'm not sure I'm going to be saying the same thing once I get through the glass because it is. A, uh, it's a big one. There's a lot of flavor going on. 8.1% alcohol by volume. I am not as much a fan of this. I'm I'm, I'm not a, a fan of smoked beers in general. There are smoked beers I like, but I'm, it's not a style that I gravitate towards. This is veering on the edge of the reasons why I dislike this style, which is just... It overpowers the other flavors. You get this this kind of just charcoaly aftertaste that just doesn't 
doesn't sit well with me. Uh, it, it really doesn't. It doesn't add anything to the experience except for just tasting like you ate just some. You just ate some fire. Uh, that's not to me what I what I go for in beer. So I'm I'm not. I'm I'm not appreciating the same way you are. So my my next sip, I did get a little bit of freshly opened plastic pool toy. You know, a little bit of that PVC or, mm. or solvent. I got a little bit of that, but it, hopefully it doesn't get too bad. Um, that sharp cheddar cheese you were talking about earlier, this is where I want it. <laughs> I think a sharp cheddar would go awesome with this. See, there's an irony here in that I, I kind of, I, like I said, I tend to dislike smoked beers, but I like smoked food a lot. So, I, I I hear you. There's a lot of times the smoke and the malt. It it makes it a cloying's not the right word, but it's this like weird sweetness. It's kind of like cloying that builds up. That kind of like it it makes it not drinkable. It makes you not want to have more than a few sips. To me, what it is I think is, is it's a similarity. I think that there, there's a there's there's a simil there's there's a distinct similarity between you know the Maillard reaction and smoke, um, and so you don't get a, a real separation like you with other foods. Like for instance, if you smoke a fish, you get smoke flavor, but you also get the fish flavor, the fish texture. You smoke a meat, you also get the meat flavor, the meat texture. You smoke vegetables, you also get the vegetable flavor, the vegetable texture. With, with the smoke beer. If if they kind of just sort of lean on the smoke too much, it just tends to taste like smoke, and that is not to me. Uh, I mean, I'm not a guy who who pours liquid smoke and everything. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I, I I I don't like that. I don't like drinking smoke, and it sort of feels like that's what I'm doing. I got you. Uh, I'm trying to explore the double part of this. And how this is different from your typical Roush beer. Take another sip here. Greg is not enjoying it. He just made a face. He's like... No, I'm just kind of trying to give it some movement. I didn't make it... The the face was not... Oh, the face looked like, oh, oh, is this gone yet? That's what I saw, but... No, it was not intentional. Okay. Not a message face. It's hard to say if if I did not if Greg didn't tell me this was a Belgian double base I don't think I'd pick it up. Um, well, you just you read it. You oh, were the one. Who told I, thought you, told oh, me. I thought you told me. Oh, anyway, if I did not learn <laughs> on my own from my own reading ability that this was a Belgian double base, I don't think I would have picked it up. Knowing it and looking for it, maybe I'll say, oh yeah, I kind of I think it's there. But that's just kind of, you know, the the words implanting into my perception what I'm tasting, I, I think, for the most part. It might have a little fuller body than your typical Roush beer. Uh, I can't really pull anything else out to say, hey, this Belgian character is making it do this instead of that. I'm having a hard time finding what that is. Now, it might be good with food in the sense that it can add a smoky flavor to something. But I think on its own, uh, it, it's lacking. Yeah, I think it's time to rank. I got nothing else to add to the auto. Be curious to see how many people in beer club like that. Mm. <laughs> Since most of them probably never had a smoked beer before. 
I'm not going to write this down. I'm going to listen to this later and figure out. <laughs> write it down. So, um, Okay, I know mine. Okay, go. Parajaka number one. That was just awesome. That was beautiful. Double hit the spot was kind of almost exactly what I was looking for at the time. <laughs> it was like, it was like hmm, here's a double. Oh, it's a nice free double that gives me just a, a beautiful kind of, you know, pretty flavors and all the other stuff and, and doesn't have flaws. Yeah, number one for me. Number two, uh, wow. Here's where it gets tough because I think there's a there's a big separation between number one and the rest of the beers. I think the rest of the beers all had uh, flaws, uh, some bigger than others. I think I started to kind of to to kind of appreciate the Voodoo Love Child as, as I started drinking more of it. So I probably just kind of put that second because of that. Uh, the so the. My Antonia will be third. I I just think because I was it was it was good, but it I mean if I didn't know it was an a pilsner imperial pilsner, it would kind of taste like a reasonable ale that doesn't seem all that special to me. That might make it better a number two to number three, but I'm keeping it number three. Uh, and number four, the auto. I, I, I just it, that that's not not my kind of beer. All right, so for me, Pear Jacques number one, just like you, it was really good. Uh, Antonia was a close second. You know, I was debating whether to put it first or second. I enjoyed it. I got those really neat, you know, caramel flavors, uh, and then you know, other things going on. I liked it. Uh, number three. Again, it's tight. Uh, I'll put the Voodoo, the Love Child number three, and then the other fourth. All right. That's our show. Thanks for listening. See you later. Thank you for listening to Craft Beer Radio. If you have questions or comments, you can email us at beer at craftbeerradio.com. Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. Visit craftbeerradio.com for more information. The opening and closing music is Last Hurrah from the band The Lights Out. You can listen to more of their music at their website, thelightsout.com. Some people get a longer fuse. Some people's shoulders are big enough for the abuse.